you got your Bibles, if you'll join me in Acts 17, and uh, that's where we're going to be uh, jumping into the second half of, of that chapter as we're continuing to walk through uh, this incredible book of the Bible. And uh, as you're turning there in Acts 17, we'll start in verse 16, uh, but as you're turning there, I want to show uh, an image on the screen. I'm going to show a couple images, and, and the images have more than one picture, so, so you're going to see uh, possibly one or two things or maybe multiple things, but typically you're going to see one first, okay? So, so the first picture, I believe, is up, or let's get the, the picture up. Uh, okay, so the question is, uh, how many of you, the first thing you see is a rabbit? First thing you see is a rabbit, all right? How many of you, the first thing you saw was a duck? All right, so, so uh, and how many of you see both? All right, so they're there. All right, so, so these, some of these pictures, they, they, I remember seeing these years ago. Uh, but here's another picture, all right? Uh, this picture, you will probably see one of two things first, all right? The, you may see a younger woman kind of looking away, all right? Or you may see an older woman kind of looking down, all right? So uh, how many of you... First thing you saw was the younger woman looking away. Okay, very cool. How many of you saw the older woman looking down? All right, it's the first thing you saw. So, so all of you saw something first. Um, how many of you are still looking for the other picture? All right, so, okay, you're not alone. I'm with you, I'm with you. All right, and one more picture. All right, uh, so there is a tree, there is a gorilla, there is a lion, and there is fish in this picture. Okay, so who sees the tree first? All right, there's the tree people. How many people see the gorilla first? It's the first thing you saw, all right? How many saw the lion first? All right, how many of you saw the fish first? All right, the fish are at the very bottom, kind of jumping out of the, of the root there. Uh, and how many of you see the giraffe? There's not a giraffe. I, just, I, could, I couldn't help, it just... Those pictures drive me nuts. Maybe they do you too as well. They're like, can't you see that? I'm like, I, I can't see it. Uh, but, but here's the thing. In each of those pictures, every single one of you saw something first. And, and in Acts 17, when Paul is in Athens, Paul is going to challenge us as believers what we see first. What we see first. He's going to challenge our vision. That, that he's going to remind us that as a believer, we're going to see the world differently than the world sees itself. That as believers, we're going to see circumstances differently. That as believers, we're going to view decision making differently. That as believers, we're going to look at places differently. We're going to look at people differently. As Paul's arriving in Acts, uh, here in Athens in the book of Acts, chapter 17, he's in the middle of of his second missionary journey, and he has traveled through Galatia and into Troas and into Philippi, where he was beaten with rods, jailed, then released. Then he went to a couple smaller towns, Thessalonica, uh, where he was ran out of there, and then to Berea, where they eagerly searched the scriptures, and, and he was ran out of there too. And so, where we're jumping in, uh, Paul has just made the journey from Berea down to Athens. Paul, or excuse me, Silas and Timothy are still in Berea, but they're going to be making their way down there. And Athens, a few centuries before Jesus, uh, Athens would have been known as the greatest city in the world. 
It was the epicenter of great culture, Greek culture. Uh, names like Socrates, Plato, Aristotle. These were kind of famous philosophers. And all of them would have, would have lived or taught there in Athens. In Paul's time now, Corinth has now kind of become that most important political city. But Athens remained the philosophical center. Like Athens was the religious center of the Greek world. And almost every little g-god imaginable was worshipped in that place. One guy named Petronius said, It's easier to find a god in Athens than a man. Every building in the city was dedicated to a false god. In this city, it's been estimated there were some 30,000 statues of false gods that were worshipped. And so here is Paul, and he is now in this, what I'm sure was a beautiful, majestic, amazing place. But what we're going to see is what he sees first. And as he's there, we're going to see again the greatest missionary that ever lived, Paul, this missionary in Athens. And, and when we say the word missionary, our minds often go to those people who have surrendered their lives to go to foreign lands to share the gospel of Jesus. We think of Paul's. Over the past two Sundays, we've been blessed and privileged to have uh, missionaries uh, be a part of our worship services. Uh, on the 4th, which we were in Honduras or with the team, but we had the two Manellos that were here who are IMB missionaries in Denmark. They're here on furlough. And then just last week, I met a missionary couple, um, just an amazing couple that they are waiting on the green light. Uh, IMB missionaries, and they are going to Southeast Asia where they will plant their lives and share the gospel of Jesus in that place. And so our minds go to these people who have surrendered everything to go. But I encourage us to be reminded that if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have been rescued by His grace, you too are a missionary. You're a missionary. A person sent on a mission is a missionary. God has placed us here for a purpose and for a mission. Jesus told his disciples, he said, as the father has sent me, so now I am sending you. He told his followers there on that Galilean mountainside, he said, I want you to go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the father, the son and the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter one, verse eight, Jesus told his disciples before he ascended into heaven to return again one day. He told them, he's like, my Holy Spirit is going to come upon you. And empower you to be a witness in Jerusalem, your Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so the missionary life is not just for these, maybe what we consider superheroes, spiritual superheroes. But it's the life of an obedient follower of Jesus. From however young you accept Jesus as the boss of your life to your last days. And so the question is, what does a missionary see? We'll see in verse 16. The Bible says, now while Paul was waiting for them, that's uh, Silas and Timothy in Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city, it was full of idols. And that word means, can mean smothered. There's idols all over the place. In every Greek city, the highest point of that city was called the Acropolis. So every Greek city had an Acropolis and at that, on the top of that Acropolis, there would be a temple to that city's 
patron little g God. And so for Athens, the patron little g God was Athena. And so on the Acropolis, you would see a, a big temple called the Parthenon. And this statue of Athena would sit there in that temple. And matter of fact, many of you, maybe you've been there, but you can go to Nashville and there is a two-scale replica of the Parthenon. I mean, it was like the, a, a, an architectural wonder at that time. And so here's this big temple, Athena statue, patron, little g-god of that city. Uh, and then all below are just buildings dedicated to false gods and statues all over the place. And so here's Paul. And in its heyday, Athens would have, I'm sure, just kind of like been an incredible sight to see. Maybe you've been there. You've been to these places. Maybe you've longed to see them and you actually see them with your own eyes and you're amazed at perhaps the beauty or the, or the, or the, 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 the majesty of perhaps the mountains. I remember even just a couple days ago landing in Honduras and just being blown away at the beauty of the mountains uh, there in that place. And so, so, but here's the thing, Paul could have been blown away by the, the wonders of everything that was Athens, but what he saw was people. He saw people. He did not marvel at the structures. He had a genuine compassion for the people there to know Jesus. That I'm sure he appreciated the beauty of the place and, and we should and, and the creator but his burden was for the people. A tourist sees objects. A missionary sees people. Sometimes it's difficult to see people. And I mean that by maybe some of us are more task oriented than others. We live by a to-do list. And we gauge our success by how many things we can mark off that list at the end of the day. We become driven by these things that must get done. And, and what can happen if we're not guarded is we can run through that list and we can look beyond or look around or even look through the people that we come across with that are engaged in those tasks. We had our AC unit uh, service the other day. But you know who came to look at the AC unit? An AC guy. And there's a man who God loves and desires a relationship with. We went to Lowe's the other day and looked at, uh, we were looking at our back door, getting that fixed. And so we were in the door section and we had a, we met a lady there who, who uh, knew a lot about doors and, and, and she was super helpful. And in that conversation of us trying to get this door, there is a lady that we're talking to that God loves and desires a relationship with. In our home, I mean, Friday nights, typically we go by Little Caesars and get some hot and ready's and we go home and we, and we eat pizza just about every Friday night. But, but as I'm at Little Caesars getting my hot and ready, there is a waitress there who God loves and desires a relationship with. It's easy to look beyond and look past, but God wants us to see people as he does. So God, help us to see people as he does. God help us to see as a missionary sees, but also we're going to see where a missionary goes. So he sees the people. He has a burden for the people. And where does he go? Verse 17. So he, Paul, reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happen to be there. I love that. He just whoever happened to be there, he was he was pursuing those places with people in mind. 
a love for people, a care for people. Paul's faith was not reserved just for the religious gatherings in the synagogue with all the religious and spiritual people. Rather, he took his as-you-go faith into the marketplace. Like his life looked the same in here as it did out there. There was a consistency to his character, a consistency to his life, a consistency with his message. Paul was the same guy in the synagogue as he would have been in Walmart. That this is him going about his life. And, and I want to encourage us, and I, and I shared this with our earlier service, I, I just in a grace and truth way, because perhaps, perhaps there is a believer here. And perhaps you can go back and you can trace back to that time where with all you knew and all you understood of the gospel in your heart that, that you acknowledged your need for Jesus and you repented of your sin and you trusted Jesus as the Lord of your life. That you can look back and you can know that your life, was, your life has been changed by Jesus. But yet at the same time, perhaps you would say your relationship with Jesus isn't what it used to be. And that for whatever reason, perhaps you found yourself perhaps doing things that you thought you would never do. That perhaps you find yourself saying things you thought you would never say. That, that unbeknownst to anybody else, you in your spirit sense a lack of consistency in your relationship with your, with your king from day to day. And the encouragement would be that the Lord invites us Always through relationship to rest in His grace. To confess our sin. And that we find times of refreshment from the Lord. I believe with all my heart that there could be some weary believers in the room. Perhaps listening in online. Because here's what I know about, about a believer. And if that describes you. Is that you are probably weary. You are probably worn down. And that you know God, the Holy Spirit is, is revealing in your heart your next step or what needs to move, what needs to change. And so the encouragement is, is that you would repent and rest and find that refreshment in the Lord. And so here's Paul, he's reasoning in the synagogue and he's reasoning in the marketplace. In verse 18, he said, the Bible says, some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. So I don't know when the last time you, you talked with a Stoic philosopher or an Epicurean philosopher. I haven't had those conversations lately. But it could be that you, you are surrounded or you have conversations with people who are highly intellectual, yet perhaps biblically illiterate. And how in the world do you have these kind of conversations, gospel conversations with these folks. Epicureans uh, did not believe in an afterlife. They thought that everything on earth came about through a random collection of particles coming together, that the chief end of man was to have an absence of pain and pursue pleasure. That was what life was all about. And then you had the Stoic philosophers, which was started by a guy named Zeno, uh, they're in Athens and, and they believe God was in everything and that you endure pain without displaying the feelings and without complaint. This is how they built their lives on. This is what they built their lives around. And so Paul is now in their world, in that marketplace. And here's what he says. It says, and some said, 
Verse 18, and some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. This is the content of Paul's message every single time. He's going to have different starting points. And we're going to see that where he starts conversations. But the content is always Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Our only hope, the death, the burial, the resurrection and the invitation to repent and receive Jesus. Verse 19 says, and they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, may we know what this new teaching is that you're presenting for you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. And now all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. So the Areopagus is, is another word for it's a. It was an outcropping of a rock a little bit about 50 yards from the Parthenon. So you got the Acropolis, the Parthenon, the statue to Athena. And about 50 yards away, you have this outcropping of a rock called the Areopagus. And, and there a temple sat. And in that temple, was uh, the temple was devoted to the, the Greek little g god Ares. And, and that corresponds to a Roman god Mars. That's why some people... Uh, call this Mars Hill, or maybe it even says that in, in your Bible. And so they're at Mars Hill, and he's reasoning with them. And it's because of his love, his love and his burden for people has pushed him in and compelled him into these marketplaces to share Jesus. Not just with the religious folks, but with those secular folks that are out there in the world. And so how do you do that? What does he say? And this is kind of a, the next thing we're going to see in the text is what a missionary says. Verse 22, so Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. Now, I think it's important. I think it's important to notice how Paul handles and deals with conversations with people who don't know or have a relationship with Jesus. Because we, we have those conversations, we have those interactions. Uh, I think because Paul, you, you kind of watch his life. I mean, he's, 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 he's bold. He is very courageous and he does not mince words. But I want you to listen. He says, I see in every way that you're religious. He doesn't call them names. He doesn't belittle them because they don't know any better. He doesn't seek to embarrass them or make them look foolish around other people. But rather in grace and compassion, he finds a common starting point to build the bridge to the gospel. In verse 23, the Bible says, For as I passed along, this is Paul, as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. What therefore you worship as known, this I proclaim to you. And I don't know exactly what it looked like, but here's, here's kind of what I can see this unfolding. I see Paul, a missionary with a missionary heart, a heart for God, a heart for people. I see him walking through the city with a burden for people to know the love of Christ, to have a relationship with Jesus. And I see him walking through the city and he's, he's observing their world. He's observing what's going on. And then somewhere along the observation, he sees this altar to an unknown God. 
And, and, and so literally an altar to the unknown God. That's who this altar's for. And I don't know exactly what it looked like, but, but I can't help but think Paul was just like, that's it. That's, that's the starting point. That's where I'm going to be able to meet them where they are, and I'm going to be able to walk them to the gospel. I believe that he was sensitive to, to his audience. I believe he was sensitive to the culture. I think he was sensitive to these Stoic and Epicurean philosophers. And he was looking around their lives and he was trying to find that, that starting point to connect with them. And that's exactly what he does. And he moves into the conversation by talking about God as creator. Verse 24, he says this, The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man. And I love this. Think about where he's at. Think about where he's at. He is on Mars Hill. There is this temple. Perhaps he's in it. Maybe he's on the steps. I don't know. But there's this temple that is devoted to a false god. It's in the shadow of the Parthenon where the statue to Athena is. He's surrounded by uh, all these buildings that are dedicated to false gods. It's, it's all around. And all of them have built these temples. And look at what Paul says. Paul says, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, he does not live in temples. And as he's reasoning with them, he is helping them and teaching them understand the God, the one true God is altogether different from anything you know anything you experience, and even anything you think that you know. Verse 25, he says, Nor is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. This is good for us as believers to hear. This is good for us to be reminded of the mighty God that we serve. He's all-powerful. He has no needs. He alone is the giver of life. And breath and everything. Like I, I was just last evening sitting on the porch and, and just praying, reflecting and, and, and thinking through this text. And I, I even just thought, I mean, think about this. We are sitting on a globe on, a, on the earth. And, and, and we have just experienced a 24 hour rotation without falling off the planet. Again, like, that incredible. <laughs> I mean, that blows my mind. In 365 days, this planet that is rotating every 24 hours is orbiting around the sun. And do you know who is holding the whole thing together? The Almighty God. He sustains everything, even our heartbeat. He is the Almighty God. And He's altogether different. And he himself, as verse 25 says, gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. Verse 26, he made from one man, Adam, every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. God is sovereign. God is ruler. Like in God's divine providence at this time. That God has allowed us to lay our heads down on a pillow and call this area home. And it's not by mistake. But yet there is a design that you are here for a purpose. And that is to share His hope with a world that desperately, desperately needs Him. Verse 27 says that they... 
talking about all mankind, that they should seek God. In other words, we're made for a relationship with God and perhaps feel their way toward Him and find Him. So what does that mean? Kind of, they're seeking their way and wondering to find Him. Genesis 3 tells us, tells us the reason for our wandering. And it's called sin. That sin is that willful decision to rebel against a holy God. To go our way, man's way, instead of God's way. The Bible says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That we are all sinners. And I love what he says in the second half of verse 27. He says, yet he is actually not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. He's quoting Greek poets. Again, not saying he's like saturate your brain with, with everything secular, but I think it's important as believers that we are able to engage with our culture. That we're not clueless. That we're able to meet people where they are and walk them to Jesus. And so... He says this, verse 29, Then being God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. God is altogether different. He is not created. He is the creator. And He is holy. He's holy. Verse 30, The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now He commands all people everywhere to repent. Because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man, the God-man, Jesus, whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. We don't have every word of Paul's conversation there on Mars Hill. But we do see his final point. And the final point is that a fixed day has been set. That there will be a day of judgment. That it will come. The judgment has been set. In God's grace, He's withheld judgment. But judgment is coming. And He commands everyone everywhere to repent. To repent and turn to Him. And to trust Him as Savior and Lord. And so they would ask, well, how do you know that's going to happen? How do you know there's a fixed day? And how do you know, how do you know all this is going to happen? You may get that question. How do we know? How do we all know that this is how it's going to go? And Paul told us there in verse 31, there at the tail end, this because he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. The way we know it's going to happen is because the tomb is empty. The tomb is empty. And because the tomb is empty, it proves that God is the only one who has the power to forgive your sin. He alone has the power to bring you and adopt you into the family of God and have peace with God through a relationship with Jesus and have eternal life. He is the only one. And so he's, he's, he's preached this gospel message. And in verse 32, it says, When they heard, when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, but others said, we'll hear you again about this. And so Paul went out from their midst, but some men joined him and believed. And among whom also were Dionysius, the Arapagite, and a woman named Damaris, and others with him. Every time that the gospel is shared, 
the good news about Jesus being our only hope for salvation. That salvation is through repentance and faith in Him. It's the only, it's the only way. That every time the gospel is shared, there are those who accept and there are those who reject. We see it, some believe. We see Dionysius and Damaris and others with them. But we also know that there were those who rejected. And in love and in grace, as Paul was sharing that red flag of warning, I, in grace and truth, waved the red flag of warning and simply shared, there is a day. It has been set. It has been fixed. There will be a day. And yet, Jesus Christ and a relationship with Him is our only hope. And it's the most important relationship you will ever, ever have. He's the only way. And so we look at this text and we're like, there's several points of application for our lives. But I would say one, and we saw it initially, is that perhaps as believers, we need God to awaken and revive our eyes to see people. And not look around people. And not see people as objects. And not see people as a means to get things done. Not to see people as an interruption to our schedule. Not to see people as, 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 a, as, a, as a problem, as a burden, as a whatever. But to see people as individuals who God loves. And desires a relationship. How do we do that? I believe the starting point is to pray for a burden. Pray for a burden for people. Help me not to get so caught up in tasks that I miss people. There are two things that are eternal. People and God's word. Everything else will fade. And so help us see people. Pray for a sensitivity to divine opportunities. We have uh, a little uh, prayer guide. We have them sprinkled all throughout the church. It's, it's, uh, it says, who's your one? But it's a 30-day prayer guide. And so even just kind of walking through daily praying for at least one person who you know needs Jesus and just keeping, keeping people on the front of our heart. Never, never stop praying for people. Pray God will give us the eyes to see people more than we see tasks. Perhaps you see this text and, and even as I shared earlier, there's this, there, perhaps there's conviction in our life as a believer and we're not perfect and we're going to be works in progress until we see Jesus. I mean, nobody has, us, has it all together. I remember when I was a kid and I thought, it, like, man, when I grow up, I'm going to have everything together. Just like my mom and my dad. And I learned, like, I don't have it all together. And, and my hunch is, is, is we all know we're works in progress. And so there are these areas of our lives that God is desiring to mold in us. And so don't miss the fact that perhaps the Holy Spirit might reveal an area of your life, perhaps something very specific, that for whatever reason, your relationship with the Lord isn't what it used to be. And so perhaps it's repenting of those things, resting in God's grace and forgiveness, and to trust Him in times of refreshing will absolutely come. And perhaps you hear this passage this morning, we read this passage, and, and maybe you you connect more with Dionysius or Damaris. That perhaps maybe you are here 
and the question were to come to you, do you have a relationship with Jesus? And perhaps there might be a, a kind of a scramble for being able to answer that question, but apart from a relationship, you don't know Jesus apart from a relationship with Him. I think of even this past week, uh, a friend of mine and I went out uh, visiting homes and, and, uh, and across the course of those homes, I uh, had what I would consider a synagogue conversation and, and just a few minutes later, a marketplace conversation. Uh, I had a marketplace conversation and the, the, the lady that we spoke to, she was Hindu. Um, and as we shared with her, she, uh, she had recently lost her mother. Uh, she said that she was open-minded. She gave us an opportunity to pray over her. Uh, we were able to share some scripture with her. And what was interesting is I just made mention that, you know, that, you know, we're, we're from First Baptist. We're just the church right across, you know, literally in, we're in their backyard. And, and she literally had no idea that this was a church. She had no idea that this, this church has, has been here. Uh, and I say that because to, to, we know we don't live in a Christian culture. And, and what we assumed, perhaps, there are lost people that wake up every day and have no idea the church is alive and living on mission in our city. And she happened to be here because, because one of her children had an award ceremony here at our church not long ago towards the end of May. And, and she's like, oh, yeah, that place. And yet, as we shared the scriptures with her, it was a very different conversation than just a little bit later, where I would say it was more of a synagogue conversation. And as we talked with this gentleman, semi-retired guy, um, he, he, when I asked about a relationship with Jesus, he was very quick to kind of put his head down and be like, oh, I haven't been in church in a long time. I wasn't baptized. I haven't been baptized. And, and, and as we're having this conversation, um, it, was, it, was, it, it was like it was all a very friendly, cordial, healthy conversation. But in the moment, just in the right time and in the right way, felt, felt compelled to just share, do you, can I show you from the scripture how to have a relationship with Jesus? And when I asked that, it was... Oh, I got, I got some, something's coming up. I got to, you know, I got to go. I'm sorry. Not right now. And, 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 and there was just this unrest when it came to the most important decision a person could ever make and know about and have assurance and have peace. And so in love and grace, I come to you in the synagogue, if you will, <laughs> with probably a lot of people that have a church background or there's some connection there. But that this gospel is shared in the synagogue and it's shared out in the marketplace. And that is that as Paul did share, we are a wandering people. The Bible says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That we are all, because of our sins, separated from a holy God because He's holy and we're not. But God demonstrates His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's how much he loves us because there wasn't a way. There wasn't a way. And so God made a way. He made a way. And the Bible says that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. He is the only way. Amen. He's the only way. And he made a way for us. 
Even Jesus said, he said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. He's the only way. He loves you that much that he made a way where there was no way. And he shares this through the scriptures to us, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, the Bible says you will be saved. You will be saved. And so in grace and in truth, as Paul did, I waved the red warning flag to say this, that there is a day of judgment that is coming. But yet, he encouraged all of those who would yield and surrender to Christ as Lord to repent and receive Him and receive life and life to the full. And so, I just simply share with you, if that's you, don't put it off another day. I realize it can be uncomfortable, perhaps, to think about eternity. We don't like thinking about those things. But the reality is, as the Bible says, we are here for a moment. It's like a vapor. I mean, like, it just goes so fast. And so, God's love for you is that, yet again, if you're listening in, His love and gospel has come to you perhaps for the 500th time, maybe for the second time, I don't know. But hear this, if, 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 if we as a people, if a, if a person apart from God is banking their eternity on church attendance and whether or not their good outweighs their bad, then as Paul did, there is a big red flag that is waving to say there is salvation only through a relationship with Jesus and His finished work on the cross. He completed finished it, and He invites all of those who desire to place their faith and trust in Him. He extends this invitation to receive them into the family of God. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank You so much for, uh, thank You for Your Word. We know that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. God, I'm so, as a believer, I'm so challenged by Paul's devotion. As he is driven by this burden to share the hope of the gospel in the synagogue, but also in the marketplace. That he, as a faithful servant, was pointing people at that time to the one true God. And today, the gospel is going forth again to a people that you have created for a relationship. That God, that you have made a way where there was no way. And so today, if there is anybody here who does not have a relationship with Jesus, I pray today, even in the next few moments, they would acknowledge their need for you. Admit their sin. Repent and turn from sin and self and turn to you as Savior and Lord. And Father, for the believers in the room, God, may we see people. May we not move past people. May we not see, see through people or, or, 
or above people, but God, we see people as you see them. And God, may we live a consistent, faithful witness for you in the world that we live in. God, we love you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Uh, We're going to have a song of response. We just want you to feel the freedom to pray. Feel the freedom to respond. We'll have pastors here who would love the opportunity to pray for you, pray with you, perhaps pray at the altar. There's somebody in your world that you are longing to see, receive Jesus. If you're here, you're like, I need to begin a relationship with Jesus. We would love to talk and pray with you through that. But let's just give this time to worship our Lord.